It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. Joining us on the show today is Chris Woods, head track coach at Mississippi State. He was part of a group of collegiate coaches from the state of Mississippi who went to the state legislature to lobby to replace the state flag that included the Confederate symbol. That effort was ultimately successful with the governor signing a bill yesterday that calls for the flag to be changed. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Can you give us a bit of uh, some background on how the idea came about for the coaches to actually go to the state capitol last week and speak out about this issue? Yeah, so this is something that's uh, been uh, sort of a hot button issue for this state uh, for the past 20 years almost. Uh, uh, 2001, the the people of the state voted on the flag and obviously they, they voted to keep the, the 1864 flag or 1894 flag, I forget, but they voted to keep it in place. And even when I was a student here, it was a hot button issue. Um, I think back in 2015, maybe the university uh, stopped flying the state flag. I believe Ole Miss stopped flying their state flag as well. Uh, so it's been uh, an issue, uh, of a topic of discussion here for a while. Um, and, you know, I think the mounting pressure um, from, you know, the student athletes of the respective universities within the state uh, speaking out about the flag and, and, and what it means to them and how, how that symbol makes them feel. And, and then obviously all of the, um, the, the social injustices that are, you know, being brought to the forefront throughout the country certainly shed light on that symbol in our former state flag. Uh, and then, you know, we had a student athlete here. He spoke out and said that he wasn't going to participate in any uh, competitions until the flag was removed. And, Obviously, the SEC jumped on the board with that. The NCAA jumped on board with that. I believe. Um, I believe uh, there was another conference um, that's representing our conference. Uh, that's representing our state got on board with that, and you know, and 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 so then it it, it became a real uh, issue that the legislators had to deal with face on, um, pretty pretty much head on, and and. Um, the idea just kind of came about, um, you know, the ADs got together, the, the, the athletic directors of the respective schools and the universities, they got together and they, uh, they thought it was important for several of the coaches on each respective staff to go down and speak their piece and talk about how the flag not only affects the university, but affects the kids that we recruit and it affects the kids that we, uh, that we have within our program. So. It's been a long time coming, but it's not something that just popped up uh, in the last two, three weeks. Like this has been a discussion that's been going on for many years here in the state. Were you surprised at the outcome at all, given how long it has taken? Um, going through the process, I was cautiously, I was cautiously optimistic, if that makes sense. I wasn't necessarily surprised because 
you know, th there had been traction like I've never seen before with this thing, you know, um, even people, you know, it's kind of twofold, you know what I'm saying? Because they voted on the flag in 2001. Well, it's 2020 now. You got a whole new generation of young people that have the availability, that have the 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 options to vote now. You know, like they're 18 now. Some of them, mm -hmm. some of them, 19, 18 years old. So they have the ability to vote. And times change. Things change. This is a complete new generation from 2001. So there was real traction on the ground, and uh, I have never seen it like that. And that's what led me to be extremely uh, optimistic about it. But you, you never, I wasn't going to be surprised either, either way. Like I was optimistic, of course, because um, I felt like that's something that this state needed because uh, that flag doesn't truly represent uh, the reality of Mississippi. Uh, it, 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 it put off a negative perception. And uh, so I was, it's something that needed to be done. I was cautiously opt optimistic, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to be shocked either way. I was certainly happy about it. Like it was a very emotional day for me personally. Uh, I've been involved uh, or lived in this state for 14 years now when you combine my um, my time here in, in college. Uh, so I was, it was certainly an emotional day for me. It was a proud day for me when they when the legislators voted to um, to explore changing the flag. When you viewed the flag in the past, or, or recently, what what emotions or thoughts came to your to your head? What did it make you think of? Oh man, that's heavy. So you know, I grew up in the South, man, and and uh, there's always been those uh, those symbols floating around. You know, there's several other states right now that still have uh, Confederate. Um, symbols in them you know they're just not as prevalent as what the mississippi flag used to have so i grew up um you know s surrounded by those things any anybody does that grows up in the south right like and so when when i saw the flag personally or saw that symbol not necessarily the state flag of mississippi just that confederate war banner or battle flag when i saw that uh you know there's a sense of uh fear that kind of runs through you uh, from a young age it's a sense of fear right like because you don't really understand why somebody doesn't like you uh, because of the way that you look and you've never had any dealings with them right and then as you get older it, it, it that kind of turns into uh frustration not necessarily anger but frustration because you again you don't understand why somebody doesn't like you simply because of the way that you look they have no idea about the character of the person that you are and then you you, you move on and and you know i have two younger boys now and that's when the fear sets back in that man there's going to be people out there that's not going to like my little boys just because of the way that they look because of the color of their skin and it has nothing to do with the character the content of the character and then you get into coaching and now i you know, I have a team of men and women combined of about 100 kids, you know, plus or minus five or 10. And, and uh, you know, we have a really diverse team with kids from all over the country, kids from all over the world, student athletes from all different types of backgrounds. And so then you worry for them as well, because, again, there's going to be people that, that doesn't like them, almost disdains them simply because of the color of their skin. So uh, when I saw that battle flag it it it, it was really a fearful uh thing uh it, it, and then that fear kind of manifested into um frustration you know not necessarily anger but frustration because you get defensive when you see that because we all know the meaning behind that the true meaning behind that and what it represents and that's why i felt like it was important that we needed to get that that symbol out of our state flag when when symbols like the flag are changed or when statues are knocked down it has the air of su suggesting and showing that changes are being made but i wonder for you does this feel like racial progress and and if so what else can be done to continue these steps 
that maybe a cynic can't just point to and say, well, that's just symbolism, you know, yeah. is anything actually going to change? So I guess uh, that question is, you know, is this real progress? Well, I will say this, and, and I've had this conversation with several of my colleagues. Um, there has been real progress in the state of Mississippi for years now, years. You know, Mississippi has this negative perception about it. Like, oh man, it's so racist down there. Oh man, it's this, or and, and people build it up and build it up to make it this really um, just terrible place. And once you come and visit and you see things for yourself, uh, you, you realize that this is this is probably the most hospitable place that you've ever been. I lived in several different places uh, in my life. I coached at several different universities. I obviously went to school here and, and I try not to be biased. I really try not to be biased, but it's hard to do. Right. When you love when you love your university so much. Um, but. To answer your question, the change has been happening for many, many, many years in Mississippi. Uh, now, I think removing this symbol out of our flag and getting a new flag further drives home the reality that Mississippi is a place of diversity. It's a place of love. It's a place of inclusion. And uh, it's not the perception of what that symbol in the flag means. Uh, I hope that makes sense. But so the answer is like, man, the change has been happening. It's not like it just happened this past weekend and everything is going to be fine. You know, I think this weekend uh, really solidifies the fact that the change has been happening. But just like anywhere else in the country, there's still a lot of work to do in regards to racial equality. You brought up uh, Kylan Hill earlier, the Mississippi State running back who said he was not going to play until the flag was changed. And I think that's when this really got on the radar of people who follow this, you know, especially sports people, and also the SEC saying we're not going to host championships in the state until the flag is changed. Was there any sentiment among your team, and I don't know how much contact that you're having with them because we are in the time of, of a pandemic, of taking yeah. actions similar to, to Kylan, Kylan Hills? Well, of course there were, you know, um, and, and, you know, I commend, I commend the young brother, Kylan Hill to really, you know, uh, step out in front of that. And, and that was a very courageous, uh, courageous thing to do and say, um, uh, you know, I talked to several of the kids on our team and, 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 and they want to speak out. And, and it wasn't just necessarily about the flag. Taking the flag down was kind of a symbol of saying, hey, we want racial equality. Um, and so uh, the way that I explained it to, to the kids on our team is like, man, we cannot, uh, it's gonna be hard for us to change the world, right? Like we're, we're a track and field team. I'm just Coach Woods. It's hard for us to change the world. But what we can do is we can change the environment that's around us and, um, you know, taking that flag down and, and lobbying to take that flag down and the kids standing up and standing in solidarity with, with Colin and, and expressing the things that they want to do. Um, I think it, it, it's our way of saying this is us changing our environment and we hope that that bleeds out throughout the state. And we hope that what bleeds out to the state bleeds out into the country and from the country it bleeds out to the world. So, uh, you know, as far as um, not wanting to compete um, in the fall or in the spring, if the flag didn't change, we, we did not have that conversation, but our program is still looking at things that we can do to further drive the narrative home of we want racial uh, equality. We want social justice um, for the minorities here in this country. And we're still, we're still, you know, thinking of ways to where we can drive our message and put our message out from a program standpoint, because this thing is such a, uh, what's been going on the last two or three months is just, it's really incredible, right? Like uh, certainly there's been tragic events that, that led to this mm -hmm. moment, the, the, these moments that we're currently living in. But I think it's really, really important to not just let this moment die. We have to continue to educate our peers. We have to continue to drive the point home that uh, racial equality uh, is important. Social injustice is unacceptable. And so we cannot just talk about it 
or the immediate two or three months after an incident's happened and then says, okay, well, we protested, we talked about it, we spoke out about it, let's get back to our regular lives, right? We have to continue to drive this message home. And we get, and in this track and field program, our plan is to use our platform to continue to drive that message. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you, you mentioned, well, what can we do? We're just a track and field program, but you're part of Mississippi State and every track and field program is part of a larger university and an institution. And with that does come some element of influence. And it feels like now athletes on college campuses could be the smallest sport, could be the biggest sport, are starting mm-hmm. to see what, what sort of influence that they can have. And six months ago, it didn't feel like that was the case. It felt like people were a bit, and there are obviously there are some exceptions, but it felt like people were a bit more guarded and that there was a, a power imbalance in the university. Do you feel that that changing, that, that students are starting to feel now, and coaches, I guess, from that respect too, because you're seeing more coaches directly speak out and, and say how they feel. Um, is that a, is that a palpable feeling for you right now in this moment? I think um, I think the kids are the, the student athletes are certainly starting to understand that they have platforms and mm-hmm. uh, they have the right to speak out. Uh, what I've been encouraging our student athletes here in our track and field program to like listen if you have an issue, if you if you want to speak out, you certainly need to speak out. But before you speak out, you need to make sure that you educate yourself on the topic that you're speaking out about and make sure that your your message is intelligently delivered. Uh, so I think they're really starting to understand, like, hey, we have a platform and collectively we can use this platform to drive home what messages that we feel like is important to us. Uh, from a coaching standpoint, I, I really uh, think coaches are starting to understand that too. Like we have social media platforms, we have a voice, and um, at the end of the day, right is right and wrong is wrong. And as coaches, I feel like it's our duty to make sure that we um, lead our kids to be on the right side of history. Like even beyond getting them faster, getting them stronger, making them throw fat further, or run faster, or jump forth further, or jump higher. It's our it's our duty as coaches to to help develop them into successful young men and young women because um, you know in the next 20 or 30 years they're going to be our leaders and uh, we mm-hmm. need to make sure that we educate them and give them the platforms and and show them how to intelligently use their platforms effectively. I know a few weeks ago you you put out a lengthy statement on your Twitter talking about your first experience as a child with yeah. racism, obviously in response to, well, the, the George Floyd killing and, and the protests going on. I'm curious what conversations with your kids, and I know they're very young, as you mentioned there, but what conversations you've had about what you just went and did, you know, lobbying the state legislative to, to uh, leg- legislator to, to change the flag. Did you talk with your kids about what, what dad's doing and why it's important? Yeah, so I, I want to talk about the letter real quick to answer that question. And yeah, I did mention an incident that I had, right, personally. Uh, but what was important to me, the message, the, the message that I was trying to deliver within my letter was, it was more so of a challenge to other coaches and other parents and other people that were in positions of leadership. What message are you going to instill in your kids? Because when I had that incident, I was six years old. When, I, when my then six-year-old teammate called me a racial slur, it wasn't until I got much older where I realized, oh, no, that, that behavior is taught. So my letter was most so of a challenge to other coaches, other parents, aunties, uncles, older brothers, all the people that are in positions of leadership. What messages and what things are you teaching and instilling in the people that you are leading? That, that was more so the, the point of my letter. Uh, now to answer your question about my younger boy, so I got a two-year-old, and and my two-year-old he just kind of runs around and, <laughs> and gets in the thing, and you know snatches trash out of the trash can every once in a while, and you know doing things that two-year-old two-year-olds do. Um, my oldest is seven, and um, he he doesn't quite understand what's going on. He understood that what daddy was doing was important because daddy had a suit on and he rarely ever wears suits. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, you must be doing something, <laughs> you know? So he understood that 
whatever it was I was doing was important. However, I don't think he understands why it's important yet. And I, it's, and what's going to be critical is I made sure I picked the times to explain to him why it was important. It may be a year or two away from now. He may need to grow a little bit more and have a couple of more life experiences before we have that conversation so that he can really understand why it was important. But he understand that change is going to happen. Like he was, he was jumping up and down when the vote came. Like we're literally watching a seven-year-old watching <laughs> the uh, Senate floor live. Like I watched the votes live and he's sitting there watching it with me on the computer. Like, what does that mean? Like, what does yay mean? What does nay mean? And having to explain it to him. And, and, and to be honest, which I had to really do some research and educate myself as well as to what was happening and, and how many votes were needed and who voted which way. And uh, so he doesn't understand that stuff, but he understands that something is important happening. Something important is happening. He just doesn't understand why it's important. I read on your coach bio on the Mississippi State website that when you were hired uh, as the full time or as the head coach, that was one of the happiest days of your life. How, how did this moment kind of compare as far as things that have a lasting impact on you? Oh, I mean, you're talking about the lobby and like going to the Capitol and, and, and talking to uh, Speaker of the House and Lieutenant Governor. That's a day I'll never forget. Um, it's like, man, when you get into coaching, your focus is, is winning champ. When you're young and you get into coaching, you want to recruit. You want to get people better and you want to pursue a championship. Like that's the whole reason why we, why we get into this thing, right? Like we're, we're, we're really competitive people. And, and I still haven't lost sight of those things. Like those are really important. Like here at Mississippi state, our goal is to win a championship. Like that's what we're going to do uh, along the way. You get these different experiences. Sometimes it's a travel experience. Um, in this instance, for me, it was, going down to the state capitol and, and lobbying for something that I really truly believe in strongly that needed to happen that I think could better the state. So in that regard, it's a day that I'll never forget. I never thought that I would be speaking to the speaker of the house or the lieutenant governor or the chair, you know, speaking to these uh, political figures about something that I personally feel strong about and lobbying to get that change. And then it goes on into happen. Now it was certainly a team effort. Now, like I want to make it understood, like Chris Woods did not go down there and get the flag changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but there was a collective effort, and I was I'm so proud to be a part of that, be directly a part of that collective effort um, that will lead to a positive change and continue um, a positive change in the state of Mississippi. How often did this come up in recruiting? in years past? Cause I heard several coaches every mention year. that every single year, every single year, I'm going to have a, a student athlete coach Woods. I love you, man. I love you. And if you was at any other place, I will be coming there, but I just can't go to school there in Mississippi. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard not to take that, not necessarily personally, but you take it kind of hard, you know, because, you get to know these families, you get to know the young student athletes, you guys really develop a connection. They believe in your coaching philosophy. They believe in, they, they truly believe uh, that you can get them better. They truly believe, the parents truly believe that uh, you will lead them to graduation and walking across the stage and lead them to, you know, compete to make Olympic teams and, and all of these things. Like they truly believe it in their hearts, but they end up not coming simply simply because of uh, a perception, not even a reality. They end up not coming over a perception and it's disheartening sometimes because it's those are things that are out of your control. We work hard down here. We work hard. We recruit hard. We're, we're, we're a staff of, um, we're a staff of people that really truly cares about the student athletes and not just about the athletic performance. Does that make sense? We we really care about the persons and the people that we are recruiting. Not necessarily, not so much about, oh, they can jump far, they can run fast, or they can throw this. We truly care about uh, the student athletes that come through our program. 
And, um, you know, it would be frustrating when somebody tell you they just can't go to school in Mississippi. And I think changing the flag will certainly or has certainly changed the perception. And now we can begin to shed light on the on the reality of what this state truly is. And like I said, it's a diverse state. Like Mississippi State's one of the most diverse uh, power five schools in the country. You know, our, our, mm-hmm. our, I think our African-American enrollment is right around 25% or so, or maybe even a little bit higher than that. Um, so, I mean, even the university, the state, the state has one of the highest populations of African-Americans than any other state in the country. And so those are the realities. Those are the facts. But the perception is, oh, Mississippi's this, it's really negative. And that's why I feel like changing the flag, that something that can truly represent the state is it's going to be uh, it's going to prove to be a positive thing, not just for Mississippi State University, but for all the universities in our state. It's going to prove to be a positive thing for businesses in this state, the people in this state and um, how our state is viewed throughout the country. I want to say I want to add to that, but there's still work to be done. Just there is just like there is work to be done anywhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. When you were a student there, which you're a pretty young guy, uh, so it wasn't too long Thanks. ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's humbling for it's humbling for me when I find out a Power Five coach is younger than I am. Um, so mm-hmm. fa- Facebook Facebook was around. I don't think Twitter was there yet. Uh, but did you feel like you had a platform when you were attending school there? Did you feel like mm. you could affect change when you were mm. an athlete at Mississippi State? Wow, I've never, never thought about that. Didn't know what a platform was, to be honest with you. Uh, I certainly during my time here felt comfortable, right? If, if, I, if I had an issue with something, I felt like I had a support system here. I was certainly nervous uh, to come to school here, as was my mother, but so is any college freshman. It doesn't matter where they're going to school. They're going away from home for the first time. So I was certainly uh, nervous, right? Um, But I didn't know what a platform was. Like, yeah, we just, like Facebook was, I think Facebook came out the spring of 2004, fall of 2004, somewhere like that. Fall of 2004 was my freshman year, so that thing was just now starting to really, uh, really pick up, and then make you we can feel really old and talk about MySpace. Like you know, we had those type of <laughs> we had those type of of uh, um, social media websites at the time because you know even the, the smartphone was the BlackBerry, so it wasn't Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> Um, Do you have a so I never thought about <laughs> Did I have a sidekick? No, I did not have a sidekick. I had remember a, those, though, right? Yeah, yeah. The flip, I had a razor. I thought I was because oh. I, I had a razor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't realize what a platform was. Like, we're just now talking about platforms within the last mm-hmm. two or three years. Uh, so I will say when I was in school here, I felt like I had a support system. And if I needed to... Uh, speak out about something. I certainly had a support system that would have my back um, in doing so. Switching gears just a little bit and to talk about track. I know we haven't had a had track season this year. You mentioned your goal is to win a national championship as is any uh, program, of course, but Mississippi State has had some years where it's been obviously very competitive at the national stage, but to take that next step what are the keys for for your program? Um, consistency, uh, consistency in recruiting. Um, th- that that's the main thing. Consistency in recruiting, finding our areas that we are strong in, continue to build those cornerstones of the program, and um, solidify them. Like pour that foundation on where it's strong. Pour that foundation on. And then from there, we can we can start to build out uh, in different areas of different event groups within the program. So consistency in recruiting is, is, is one of the main factors that, that I think about in long-term success. And 
I strongly believe, I've always believed, the most important thing um, in any type of successful program is the coaches in the program have to dedicate themselves to developing the young student athletes that they're able to recruit and successfully sign and bring into their program. A lot of universities, and I don't want to say a lot, but you know, you certainly have that pro those programs where they only rely on the talent that they recruit and, and they just want that talent to go and perform. Well, here, I think it's important to, yes, you want to recruit the talent, but just recruiting the talent and getting them here is not good enough. We have to dedicate ourselves to learning our craft. I don't care how long you've been in coaching, there's always something to learn. We have to dedicate ourselves to the development, the individual development of all of our student athletes here. So recruiting and development to, to answer your question. And obviously this whole thing changing the flag is much more important than the perception of the state for recruits. This is tremendously larger than that. But I'm wondering if you think this will have any direct impact to the athletes you're going to be able to recruit. 100% again, because it, it, it tears down that, that it tears down the negative perception a little bit. Does it completely remove it? Absolutely not. Like you're still, there's still going to be people that's going to be a little bit apprehensive, but now there's going to be another group of people that's like, man, there's real change going on down there. They have minority leadership in that track and field program down there. I feel comfortable sending my son or sending my daughter uh, to that program because I have confidence in Coach Woods and his staff that they are going to develop my um, child not only into being a successful student athlete, but they're going to focus on developing my child into being a successful young man or young woman. So I certainly think the changing the flag is is uh, it's a symbol of changing the perception and shedding a light, a real light, a glaring light on the reality of the, the hospitable state. I mean, we're the hospitality state, <laughs> you know? And I think changing the flag is really going to allow us to shed light on those things. Chris Woods, head coach at Mississippi State. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, stay safe amidst the pandemic and best of luck to you and your team this year. Thank you guys so much. Stay safe, Hill State. We'll see you guys down the road. <laughs> All right. That was Chris Woods, Mississippi State head coach. And Lincoln, just it's been very, very encouraging to see just the role that college coaches and college athletes are having at this time. You see it throughout the country, uh, just how involved and, and active they're getting. And the whole idea of like, hey, if you support me when I'm playing sports, for your team, then you also need to support me as an individual during these other mm -hmm. pursuits, right? I mean, it's not it's not a large ask, but I but I think it's forcing some conversations and some issues to the table that that need to be had. And obviously, with this situation here, it it just goes to show you the the what can happen. Now, this wasn't again, like you said, this wasn't just a thing that happened last week or last month. It's been building on mm -hmm. years and years of of work but it is engaging young people in in the times that we're in right now yeah and i think you know you touched on an important topic the importance of a platform thinking of kylan hill and obviously this was all preceded by the events of you know the, the killing of george floyd and the racial protest the black lives matter movement but his his coming out kylan hill the football player from mississippi state and saying i don't want to play if i'm playing under that flag obviously had a tremendous act, uh, impact and it's going to have impact hopefully for, for generations to come. I mean, as, as a white man, I can't even imagine what looking at the Confederate flag every day is like. And I know that flag angers me. So I can imagine being in the shoes, uh, being an African-American, being a minority and looking at that flag and knowing truly what it means. And so how powerful is that to, to, to get that removed and uh, especially when, you know, the country is, it, it, you hate to say that it had, things have to get really bad before they can get better, but it kind of feels like that. I mean, there's been so much ugliness in this country the last few years, and particularly this year. Um, 
but if if those things lead to um situations where changes is, is uh is brought on well uh yeah. then then it's it's productive to to uh have these conversations so uh it's really just cool to see you know watching the videos from the coaches mississippi state coaches in the in the legislature you know gave me chills it was uh incredibly incredibly inspiring to see uh, what the this community was able to do when they rallied together yeah we should say across the board too coaches from old miss was was there and a bunch yeah, of other yeah. universities yeah, yeah. in the in the state were there and then yeah it got passed and then signed by the governor it 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 happened relatively quickly at least in terms yeah, of yeah. how the speed of politics usually operates within within mm-hmm. our country so yeah again big thanks to coach uh, chris woods down there in mississippi we're going to switch gears now lincoln and talk about some results some actual wow. results from an actual meet and these are big time times here these are big time okay. times at the bowerman the bowerman track club turned in here at jesuit high school last night in portland it was a purely time trial meet right we did not yeah. there was four events 1500s and 5000s that was it i'll start first with this headline here elise cranny elise cranny lincoln mm-hmm. runs 1448 moves her to number 7 all time on the us 5000 meter list and gives yes. bowerman another threat to make the Olympic team next year. The rich just seem to get richer here. Mm-hmm. And what what a performance. Uh, that's just three seconds off what Carissa Swizer did in Doha last year and just a little bit faster than what Vanessa Frazier ran indoors in Boston. In the same race last night, Courtney Frerichs, the steepler, goes 14.50. That's number nine all time. And Colin Quigley... Uh, and Gwen Jorgensen went 15-10 and 15-18. But Cranny, she takes her PR from 15-25 to 14-48. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's done made, made more gains, it seems like, in this quarantine period as far as track and field athletes than than perhaps Elise Cranny, like what she showed last night. I know we don't have the the video, but... She may have just solidly, if it wasn't established before, moved herself from the 1500 up to the 5K and adding her name to to uh, an event that just seems to keep picking up stars. Now, all of a sudden, a, a distance that we would have called as recently as last year called a weakness for the U.S. is it's not the women's 1500 yet, but it's it's coming. Yeah. It's coming up to be a strength when you talk about Swizer. Uh, El Purrier, I know Fraser's not healthy right now, uh, but she ran fourteen forty eight not too long ago, and then and then Cranny and Frerichs obviously won't run the distance at the championship level, but for Cranny, I mean you're right, she was the headline last night, uh, not only for the huge PR, but the fact that it came in a distance that we're not accustomed to her running. She's been a fifteen hundred re- meter runner previously, uh, as a statement run from her. Yeah, and. I think what we're seeing, because you look at the men's 5,000 meter results as well, too. McGordy, 1311. That's a big PR, takes 10 seconds off. And then Grant Fisher, 1311 as well. His previous personal best was 1329. So the breakthrough, I think everybody thought Grant Fisher was capable of. Like 1329 was not indicative of Grant Fisher's potential. Now he has a time in line with that. But they got a very good assist again for. I'm calling him, I mean, he's a great runner, obviously, in his own right. He's a medalist. But Mohamed, man, Mohamed is getting assists out there, a la Jason Kidd in his in his, uh, in his his prime. Now, remember, Mohamed is the one who set the table for the Woody Kincaid sub-13 and the Centro and Lamong almost sub-13 from last year. Well, last night, he goes through 4,200. He takes this field through 4,200 and... Then McGordy takes it from there, and he closes in 55. In the women's race, Schweizer and Houlihan, they went – their last split was 3,800. Again, we haven't seen the video, so maybe they went to 4K. I think what we're seeing with this is two things. One, they're obviously in incredible shape. But two, just the benefit of having a high-quality rabbit all the way through and sometimes a bit past four kilometers. It's one thing to go to a Diamond League and get somebody to 3K with weird splits. It's 
far different for a teammate to take you basically all the way to two laps to go and then say, take it from here. Yeah, of course. I mean, we know even in our limited experience in track and field, the running the 5,000 from three to 4K can can really hurt. And you're you're still thinking, I've got a long way to go. So having somebody in front of you that's still able to click off those splits, so having the Mohamed, uh, who, who's a bronze medalist in the 5,000, makes things quite a bit easier. That said, maybe not quite as impressive as uh, the women in the 5,000, but as you mentioned, McGordy and uh, and Fisher, I guess the overall. Young guys, a, the young guys. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice day for Stanford alums uh, in this, yeah. this Bowerman uh, time trial situation. Um, kind of have to remember that these two guys are players in the 5,000. I know Chalimo, I know Lamong and Kincaid, if he's healthy. Those guys were the top three last year, and there's other guys who have more experience. But 13-11, especially mm-hmm. when there's been no season, and they beat Evan Jager and uh, let's see who else was that, you know, Ryan Hill. Yeah. Like, you, just because these guys are 22, 23, you can't forget that these are potential Olympians as well. And ba- McGordy, the limited appearances he's made as a Bowerman athlete, he's been really, really strong. I don't think he ran yeah. at USA's last year, and neither did Fisher. So you kind of right now are thinking, ah, those guys are a couple years off. I, I seems like they're going to be ready to go next year, and being right there in contention with you know the kind of the fringe guys like like Jenkins, uh, like Drew Hunter. It's going to be a tough team to make, but these guys are certainly now uh, elevated as as far as the pecking order is concerned. Well, you have to like McGordy, especially because of his closing speed. His mm-hmm. fifteen hundred meter speed is is top notch. We saw that in his first year as a pro. Sneaky good performance here, I think, from Jager. 13-12, doesn't get the win, but was off all last year because of injury. Yeah. So to come right back in and run 13-11, or 13-12 is really good. Hill right there at 13-15. So the young guys led the way, but those are, for a year where there's no championships, I think it's, I think they're fine. They're fine mm-hmm. where they're at. Going back to Cranny, you brought up 1,500, 5K. Obviously, I think it has to be, 5k and last year was her first year as a pro and she made the finals in both at at usa's ran in the 1520s in the 5000 which was fine but any idea that she was going to settle into that tier is now gone right she is she is now a threat and now the question with all of these runners all these stanford alums here is translating it to a a championship setting or you know translating it to a a non-trial set, nine non-time trial setting, right? Same thing with Woody mm-hmm. Kincaid in a way, right? Have we really haven't seen, you know, since that race because it was so late in 2019, and then 2020 was essentially scrapped. We really haven't seen him in a big time race yet. Um, you right. could even say the same thing about same thing about Frazier, right? Like we haven't seen it in a big time race yet. Schweizer ran that fast 3,000 in Boston, but. Several months prior, we saw what she did in Doha in back-to-back rounds, drop her PR. So she's done it on the big stage. But you do want to see, hey, can you do it outside of a controlled time trial setting? Yeah, and I guess with the development of Josh Thompson and you mentioned Swizer, just the the team overall, the 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 established athletes have obviously done done the work for the team to build up the reputation but you see mm-hmm. some of these athletes that we thought of as stragglers and who maybe weren't at that level now they're starting to to rise up like i mentioned with thompson um kincaid uh you know there there's other names there and obviously with these performances by the the, the, the former stanford athletes you, you can no longer think of them as as being well leaps and bounds behind the Swizers and and Hulahans and the the Quigleys. They're they're coming up to that level, and it makes sense. They were just as good in college, and now uh, uh, they haven't had the chance to necessarily show it in, as young pros yeah. in, in in races, just because of maybe they turned pro last year and, and didn't get a full season, and then now obviously with no track going on, you forget how good these athletes were, like Fisher McGordy. And, and Cranny, how good they were in college. And uh, it's also encouraging for Cranny. She was a high school phenom. And a lot of times, yeah. you know, these these high school female uh, phenoms, specifically on, on the female side, have issues with the career longevity. And for her to 
to go through Stanford and have a strong career and then still be on the up. Uh, that's a testament to her, to her as an athlete. Um, because I, I just know how difficult it is to be that good in high school, to be that good in college and, and to stay on a track towards progression, uh, for someone of, of, of her ability. So it, mm-hmm. it's a, it was a big day for her. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly re orders some things. If you're trying to make one year out projections on, who, who makes the team because it just adds mm. another name in there because you can't, you can't discount someone who's run 1448. It's not a guarantee that they're going to make a team, but you cannot sure. discount somebody who has that ability. And yeah. especially looking way far ahead to those trials, if Bowerman has critical mass in that final in Eugene, they could set the tone for the race. They could dictate. Yeah exactly how they want the race to go. Now, maybe they won't, maybe they won't do that. But if you have three people on your team that have run 1448 or faster, I would think you'd want a quick race because the list of people who could stick with that is, is very small. And it is exciting for the U S women's 5k, a nut that has not been able to be cracked at the international level yet. I mean, the, the the 5K on the women's side just be ridiculous. It almost has like a Diamond League type feel with the, the types of PRs that are that are in there. You mentioned the 5,000, yeah. but El Perrier in her 416 mile, you think she's going to be in the in the 5,000 in some way? Uh, we, you know, if Houlihan decides to also do the 5K, as she at least at the trials, she obviously is the record holder, U.S. record holder at 1500 and 5,000. Krista Swiser in her 1445, and oh yeah, a 825 3k i mean these are ridiculous times uh the bowerman track club continues to it it, you know i always thought they would get so good that this would become uh, routine but they still pleasantly surprise me because they bring on these new athletes and they always elevate them uh i think jerry schumacher gets enough credit but He's still finding ways to outdo himself. Uh, obviously, the credit yeah. needs to go to the go to the athletes. They're doing the they're doing the work. But it, this group, they are obviously one of the best in the world. Well, there's always a little bit of a head fake, right? The first year doesn't go perfect, and then mm-hmm. instead of a sophomore slump, there's a sophomore breakout, like we're seeing mm-hmm. with 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 Cranny and mm-hmm. perhaps with with um, some of the other runners here. Fifteen hundred. They had some fifteen hundreds too. Lincoln. Although, yeah, yeah, from what it looks like on the results, no rabbits, which is a tough break for the 1500 meter runners. They served yeah. themselves as rabbits for the 5000, but they didn't have any. And just looking yeah. at the splits, it looked like in both the men's and women's races, they traded off the lead. And mm-hmm. Shelby Houlihan got the win 402.37, Schweizer 402.81. That's a PR for Schweizer. But Shelby Shelby gets the win after last time Schweizer beating her in that three thousand. Yeah, a little bit of an answer back. Obviously, with no video coverage, it's it's tough to get that full to have that moment on the internet cycling over and over again. Um, I'm sure Shelby would take the uh, that three k win back in Boston and trade it for this one. But. 402 and and you know coming off a long Solo, break is a basically. pretty good time yeah i mean that's when you've run 354 it's easy to look at that and be like eh, whatever but then you're like that's a 4-2 basically you know season debut in a non-season with a, just uh with a yeah like you said a solo effort so very very well, impressive and Swizer just a, yeah, another yeah. step forward yeah 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 i mean i guess you you have to. She's leading at least half of the race. I mean, I've, I haven't seen the video, but again, you just look at those splits. Because then the men's side of things, between Thompson, Lamong, and Ahmed, they each took a turn being first. And I thought, well, that would be a weird coincidence. I think perhaps that there was some planning there because they all ran three thirty nine. Thompson wins it three thirty nine sixty six, same time as Lamong. Actually, sorry, Thompson wins it three thirty nine point six five two to Lamong's three thirty nine point six six zero, and then Mo Ahmed was there. Three thirty nine point eight four. So, a trio of yeah. 339s there. That would have been a fun finish to watch. Um, yeah. Hopefully they get the video yeah, up. Hoping the video. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to do a get a fifteen hundred right in a without a, a pacer or even with a pacer. It's so hard to get it right. Mm-hmm. It was. 
yeah. the 5,000 is a much, for whatever reason, a much easier race to control. At least I think so. And and I guess Centro couldn't be bothered to get off the Call of Duty couch to, to come <laughs> pace to pace or, or run this 1,500. You got a yeah. gold medal and you just, you can, you can dictate. Well, there were some other people who scratched or didn't, or didn't run at all. It wasn't, it wasn't universal. Not everybody was, yeah. not everybody was there, but Hey, no. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be greedy. This gave us something to, to to talk about. This is pretty interesting. I did not see if, I didn't even know what events they were running because nobody knew what events they were running. And this was under the, the cover of darkness. I do think Craig Engels should have showed up to that 1500 though. That'd have been fun. That would have been. I would have, I would have been there for that. They, this happened after I went to bed. I, I, I know Gordon tweeted about it on the FlowTrack account, and when I woke up this morning, it said four hours ago, and I woke up at like six thirty. So he tweeted about <laughs> it at two thirty in the morning. This this man still needs to be working on his uh, his sleep habits. That's that's much too late in the in the day for Don't me. Worry. He won't he won't wake up for at least five or six hours. So yeah, uh, I guess other time trial type news. Did you see Jakob Ingebrigtsen ran one forty six? Yeah, one forty six, and then Statman John John Mulkeen was putting up the all time list of people who have that that ten k eight hundred range, yeah. and it's a select group. It's a small group, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When I see 146, it's still, I don't know. I think of like Webb running 143. And I know Webb is a miler, not a predominantly a 5K guy. But I still don't, I, for whatever reason, there's a, unless someone's like 145, that's like the cutoff to me of Mm -hmm. Diamond League quality, elite quality. But I mean, that guy's ready to run. That guy's, that guy should have been in this race. That would have been fun. That would have been so much fun. I think he would have dominated. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt though that Ingebrigtsen could be a 144 faster guy. When you look at Craig Ingalls ran 144, and I know you think of Jakob Ingebrigtsen having a little bit more endurance than um, than I guess necessarily raw speed. It's not like I'm calling him slow by any means, but I mean he's just yeah. doing this. I know his brother Philip was in this, but he's just doing all this basically by himself, and he's what he's not even 20 yet. I mean, well, talk about giving turning him keys to the stadium there. Yeah. <laughs> It's just turning the extraordinary into routine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's funny, though. They're not doing these because he did this at the big stadium, right? At the Bizlet Stadium again. That's what it looked like. I don't know if pictures there. It looks it looked the same. Yeah, it it did look the same, but I I, I wasn't sure. (laughs) There's no there's no small tracks in Oslo. There's only the biggest track. You can only work. You can only do your time trial with nobody in the stands there. It's the only place you can do it. Well, Jakob Ingebrigtsen actually has keys to every building in the in the uh, in the Greater Oslo area, so he kind of carries around one of those janitor's keychains. He's just such a star over there. Yeah, until Carson Warholm rekeys it and doesn't tell him. So it's still my country, right? Right, yeah. right. Who is more popular um, over there? Is it Warholm? Is it Warholm or Jakob Ingebrigtsen? Uh, we should That's ask to say right. We should yeah, ask. That's, that's a question that question needs to be answered. Yeah. To the Nor- Norwegian listeners, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Jakob or Karsten? I would guess. Well, I mean, Jakob has a the reality show and yeah. the brother thing, right? But Karsten has the, the two gold medals and slapping himself in the face. It's don't, <laughs> don't overlook that as an important marketing ploy. Yeah. What do you think they're going to run more? Do you think Bowerman's going to run more? It'd be so awesome they if mentioned- they run more this year than an actual year. It'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they do like a series of eight time trials. Yeah. They Jerry's said like, that. Like, they, said, yeah. they said in a post that they may, you know, look to do more competitions and maybe, you know, maybe against actual competition. I think Ooh. I read that. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'd love to see some some races on the some more i know this wasn't in the the nike it wasn't on the michael johnson track but i'd love to see a uh pete julian v jerry schumacher uh try to get that rivalry reestablished um or i guess established uh and see the the portland group that would be fun did this make your list of match races you wanted to see well i mean tc julian did you have anybody that, on that from that, those groups? That, oh, that would. 
Oh, you had yeah, Shelby versus Hassan, right? Hassan in the two K. Uh, I would love. I would love that. Um, yeah, Brazier versus anyone on BTC is not exactly going to be. I don't know who's going to volunteer as tribute for for that one. <laughs> uh, anybody got one forty two speed? Uh, <laughs> anybody? Anybody? Yeah, the ghost uh, of David Radisha is here. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, but, you know, Ingles against Centrowitz, I'd love to see something like that. That'd be fun. Those guys are fun to watch. Yeah, and then you could put Jenkins in the mm-hmm. 5,000 against it's – it's not balanced. It's just BTC has so many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially yeah, on, the, little, women, on the women's side of things. Side. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just excited that the women's 5,000 is going to become a very exciting event. At the trials, and every Absolutely. event is exciting at the trials. Don't get me wrong, but with the, how many people were running it, doubling back from the fifteen or doubling back from the ten thousand, that you didn't know who was going to take what spot, and then ultimately the U.S. You don't, you never felt like okay, this person's going to go and contend for a medal, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. And then that and that and that sort of changes things. Cause it's like, well, if you make the team, you can get a medal, right? Like events like the high hurdles or something like that. It never had that feel to it just because there has never been any medal at all, let alone mm-hmm. the, the the fourth place person is going to be left out of a medal. But now you really feel like that, right? Yeah. You, you really feel like someone's going to get left off who has serious credentials who we may not be to the point where they're going to be leaving off a medalist, but you're certainly leaving off a, a top Finalist. eight person yeah, in, yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no. and, and I just – and I wanted to see how these people run when it's not a time trial. Yeah, I mean they've earned their stripes in other other places, of course. But yeah, the new people, as as you are the 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 youngsters of the of the Bowerman Track Club, still have to prove themselves in that regard. But they haven't really gotten the chance yet. But impressed with what Cranny and Fisher have done in such early days in their in their professional career and training with the best, arguably the best group in the world, has paid dividends. So we uh, they are certainly players in uh in the um on the on the domestic stage sorry yeah the the Ah. track and the track the running team thing uh the world the world (laughs) running competition Uh, the only i guess Uh, the only thing negative is she doesn't she won't get an olympic standard that is cranny she won't get an olympic standard off of this right why well, they're aren't they're not doing standards oh, 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 right the window now. the window yeah yeah, yeah 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 the window yeah yep so yep, i mean right. but i think I she'll be meant, fine to re- yeah i thought you meant because the stand the it wasn't sanctioned i was like the officials were there but no 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 just that the, is the world yeah Athletics. that is interesting though right they took the time to get the officials and stuff out there to sanction it so it'd be a sanctioned performance but it's not going to count for usatf or world athletics maybe yeah. contract wise maybe Maybe. Just to, I just guess, to have I guess, it be you could recorded be... as their PR, I guess, maybe. Well, yeah, right? Because if you go to – if because people were saying McGordy has the world lead in the 5K now. There yeah. is still a world okay. list. And maybe okay. if he ends the year – maybe if he ends the year number one, there's a, there's a bonus attached to that. That Oof. could be it. Be smart. smart. That, was, that, is was, a, that thir- was a good play. Is a thirty-seven second PR in the five thousand good? I'm new to running. Is that good? I think it is. Would you? Um, yeah, I, I would say it's better than a thirty-six second PR and a, than not PRing. So, I, especially for someone who had a full ride to what I assume was a full ride to to Stanford and who got a professional contract, get PRing by thirty-seven seconds is a very special moment to be sure. Yeah. So yeah, right now Henrik Ingerbretson has the world lead. Well, listed on here is thirteen nineteen, and then for the so was that yesterday? Yeah, Did he ran that yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was part of that. Uh, yeah, it was Bislett Stadium, June okay. June twenty ninth. Sorry, two two days ago. It was a two day yeah. meet. They borrowed that track for two days. He had the keys for two days. Wow. wow. Before before Carson told him to leave, and the women right now it's fifteen oh six Jessica Hall. So that will change immediately. So mm. I guess that's why you do it. Yep. Cool. That is that is why you go out there and you get the officials there and you make sure it's a legit mark so that way you can dominate the top ten in <laughs> in twenty twenty. I think we have a strong candidate for most improved in twenty twenty. There's still a couple months left, but at least Cranny, 
almost has it locked up. I'll say yeah. That. Yeah. Good chat. Good chance. Yeah. All right. Thanks again to our guest, Chris Woods of Mississippi state. Thanks to Elon for producing. I will be back tomorrow with no Gordon. We'll be back tomorrow with Lincoln again. Cool. Here's your warning. Buckle up. Who knows what they're going to talk about. <laughs> Can't wait. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.